Yeah, I don't know what's going on with you today. Thank you, brother. Man, you make that look very light. That is not light. That's great. I used to be strong like that, I think. Yeah, I don't know what's going on in your life. I know some of you are watching uh, right now from a hospital room. Uh, I know some of you are at home and uh, you're recovering from sickness. Um, Some of you are uh, in the midst of grieving, in the midst of... um, trying to figure out what to do with um, loved ones that are uh, maybe COVID positive or, or facing other very serious circumstances. Maybe you're in a, a, an optimal moment in life. Maybe you're in a dismal moment in life. But, but here, here's the truth. If you are in Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you and you're an adopted child of the king of heaven you can be a thriving person no matter what you're going through we're talking about thriving the definition is clear thriving is having the confidence to be intimate with god and the contentment to be to obey god's commands while trusting outcomes to god's capable care we're talking about thriving with opportunities friends god knows what he's doing We may not fully understand all that God is doing. We may not understand the why now, right now. We may not get all the details of of what God knows. Here's what we can do. We can trust his plan. We can trust his goodness. We can trust his power and, and know that he has a purpose for it. This morning I was reading in Luke 7 in my devotional reading. And it's in that section when John the Baptist is doubting. He's in jail. He's frustrated. He's wondering Is Jesus really the Messiah? And Jesus' response to him is amazing. He said, blessed is he who is not offended by me. What he's saying there is, blessed is the person who even though they don't understand it and don't like it, they don't get mad at God. They lean into God and say, God, I trust you. If you're going to be a thriving person, you're going to have to learn to do that. And that's going to happen in opportunities. And that's why we're talking about this in this series, thriving with opportunities. But we also have to understand no sooner does God give us opportunities, but the world brings us challenges. And even those challenges are a part of God's plan. Now, when we left off last week, Nehemiah was getting clarity and he was getting ready to get busy. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go ahead and let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2. Now, last week, we we saw Nehemiah show up to Jerusalem on his mission trip, and he took a night to kind of scout things out and got some real clarity about what needed to get done. And and then he challenged the people. They're responding. It's time to get busy. Now, what we see in our text today is what God's enemies typically do when God's people start getting busy doing God's will. We, we need to know that, that there, there are forces that despise God. They hate God and they hate us. And we should never be surprised by that. Remember what Jesus said in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Don't be surprised by that. 
Don't be surprised by the fact that the world hates the word of God. Don't be surprised by the fact that the world hates the standard of God, of what God's word says about reality, what is true, what is right, what is best. And when you speak it, when you stand on that truth, when you live in that truth, don't be surprised at the challenges. Don't be surprised that you're hated. The last four years, I've been reading John Bunyan's classics to begin the year. Uh, Pilgrim's uh, Progress, um, The Holy War by John Bunyan, and then uh, The Pilgrim's Progress Part 2. And in Part 2, which is one I'm reading now, it's uh, Christianity's, Christianas, that's Christian's wife, her journey with their children to the celestial city. And they, they have a guide, a protector. His name is, is Greatheart. And listen to what he says about God's enemies. They brought up an ill report of your Lord, persuading others that he was a taskmaster. They also brought up an evil report of the good land, saying twas not half so good as some pretend it was. Look at this. They also began to vilify his servants and to count the very best of them meddlesome, troublesome, busybodies. bodies. Further, they would call the bread of God husk, the comforts of children, fancies, the traveler and laborer of pilgrims, things, things to no purpose. This is what they did in Nehemiah's day. It's what they did in Jesus' day. It's what they did in John Bunyan's day. It's what they're going to do in our day. We need to expect it. We need to look past it. And we got to get focused on God. We must take hope in our hearts. The Apostle Paul, I think he said it best in 2 Corinthians 4.16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen, they're eternal. We gotta stay focused on God. We gotta stay focused on what He's doing. Stay focused on that, that great reward. Yes. Our bodies are going to grow weak. Yes, we're going to get tired. But as we lean into the strength of the Lord, when we are weak, then we are strong. So long as we are strong in the Lord and our souls will be strengthened and we will be a thriving people. And we can't get, we can't get dissuaded. We can't allow ourselves to get distracted. We're so easily distracted. Another one I'm reading right now, which is it's not a ton of fun, is the book of Job. Uh, I, I'm excited. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys, I, you guys know I love Dr. Tony Evans, uh, pastor down in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he was diagnosed with COVID uh, last week and uh, they had some major damage to the urban alternative buildings. Please pray for him. Please pray for that ministry. Uh, but he said, Lord willing, when he comes back, the first thing he's going to preach on is the book of Job. I can't wait to hear what Dr. Tony Evans has to say about the book of Job. I'm, I'm in Job right now. And what's interesting to me, when you look at the entirety of the book, Job and his faith was strong early on. Even though he was suffering, even though his wife was telling him to, to curse God and die, Job was still strong. He didn't have problems until he started dealing with religious people. Do you notice that? I mean, he was doing good until he started getting distracted with the half-truths of well-intentioned religious people. Friends, we can't get distracted with other people. We can't get distracted with things around us. You got to stay focused on God. And in the end, when God really got Job's attention and when he showed him who he was, 
Job got real clear. And it was in that moment that he was able to be a thriving person with the opportunities that God gives. And that's what we're learning in our text. That's what we're seeing in Nehemiah 2. We can be a thriving people with these opportunities that God gives us. With every opportunity, there will be challenges. These challenges are a part of God's plan. What we've got to learn to do is to stay focused. Our text shows us how. So let's go now to verse 19 of Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 19 through 20. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word as I read it. Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 19 through 20. But when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you are doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and his servants will arise and build, but you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. So Nehemiah now, He's a recognized threat. He is now the front man. He is now the attention of the enemies of God because he's stepping into the opportunity that God has put before him. He seems prepared and his words reveal that. Here he is, and these guys, we've seen Sanballat and Tobiah before. Geshem is is, is a little bit new. Go back to verse 10 real quick in in Nehemiah chapter 2. But when Sanballat and Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, look at what happened. It displeased them. It displeased them. Now go look at verse 19. Things are amped up. It's not just that they're displeased. It's not that they're just like, oh man, this stinks. No, no, no. Now they're being vocal in their opposition. Now they're making it clear that they're going to challenge, that they are going to be enemies of God. Look what they're doing. They are jeering. They are despising. They are making it public that they stand in opposition to Nehemiah and this mission. And it would be be understandable that Nehemiah would get distracted, but he didn't. I can imagine the emotions. I can imagine my emotions. I think my first emotion would be anger. I think I'd want to tell them what for. I think I might want to get a couple of those soldiers and say, what, what? Did you say what? That's not what he did. You know, the other part of me, the people pleaser in me would want to appease them. I'd get scared and I'd be like, well, look guys, can, can we just like, come on y'all, stop. It's not what Nehemiah did. He didn't get soldiers and start smacking people down. He didn't appease them. And he, as far as we can tell, there's not anxiety. You know, he's not letting them live rent-free in his head. He, he's not going over and over their statements and, and, and getting, getting all caught up in, in, in what's going on. No, no, no. Instead, we see him doing what thriving people do. And that's what I want you to take note of as we look really focused in on verse 20 today. Take note of these four things of what thriving people do. Thriving people stay focused on who they serve. Plenty of distractions in front of him. Plenty of things to get messed up in his head. That's not what he does. Then I replied to them, oh, this is so key. Don't miss this. The God of heaven will make us prosper. The God of heaven. So 
They make this insinuation that Nehemiah is committing treason. Look back in verse 19. Look what they say. What, what are you doing? Are you standing against the king? Are you doing something illegal here? And remember, Nehemiah's got papers in his pocket. He's got a sign affidavit from the king that he can be there and do everything that he is allowed to do. And he's got supplies from the king. But notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't, he doesn't speak to the challenge from a simply human perspective. He doesn't say, hey, I've got a legal right to be here. It's not what he does. He says, friends, this, this is not political. This is spiritual. He makes it real clear to the enemies of God that he knows what they're about and that he knows what he's about. And what he's about is what God is doing. Because again, this phrase he uses to describe God, Look at it. The God of heaven will make us prosper. It's not the first time we've seen this phrase. Go back to chapter one. When faced with the call, when faced with the need, when faced with the reality of Jerusalem, he begins to pray. Look in verse five. Look, look at who he prays to. The God of heaven. Go to chapter two. Look in verse four. He's standing in front of the king. He's about to either get a blessing or lose his head, literally. And it's, and it's time, and what does he do? He prays to the king of heaven. Nehemiah knew and made very clear to his opposition that he was on a mission from God. Friends, it is a very dangerous, it is a very foolish thing to stand in opposition to God. It's a very dangerous, it's a very foolish thing to be an enemy of God. I mean, even the, the religious leaders of, of, of Jesus' day, the, the religious leaders, you, you go back to like in Acts 5 when Peter and John were standing and proclaiming the gospel and they, they arrested the disciples and, and there, there's this whole big issue going on. And Gamaliel, Gamaliel who actually was the, uh, the teacher of Saul who became the apostle Paul, look what he says in Acts chapter 5. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in high honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside. So he said, get the disciples out because we got to talk private. I don't want them to hear what I'm about to say. And he said to them, now he's speaking to the Sanhedrin. Now he's speaking to the religious leaders. I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For this plan of this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. There are always going to be those who are opposing God. Some do it on purpose. Some maybe accidentally. Maybe it's, it's just a consequence of their sin and their, and their selfishness. But friends, it is a dangerous thing to stand in opposition of God. It's also a losing thing because you can't beat God. You can't stop God. God is the Almighty and His plan will be accomplished one way or the other. And for those who have their eyes on God, who are focused on God, they're able to know with confidence, I serve Him. This isn't about me. This isn't about what, what I can do. It's not even my authority. You know, uh, the year before I went to college, I, I did construction. I worked construction to get some money. And typically, I, I was digging ditches, I was digging uh, footers, or I was putting on roofs. But, but one day, uh, on a Friday, my boss let me know I was going to be meeting him on a mon the next Monday morning, early, that we were going to one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in Nashville. 
and that I was going to be doing demolition on a kitchen. Have you ever done demolition on a kitchen for an 18-year-old guy with a little bit of muscle? That was a lot of fun. So I had to meet him over there at 7 a.m., and he, we're there, he shows me the kitchen, shows me what he wants to do, gives me all these tools, and he said, okay, I'll go back and check on you later. It's like, well, no, no, I'm a big old boy with what could be perceived as weapons about to make a lot of noise in some people's houses that don't know who I am. I don't know where you're from, where I'm from, that'll get you shot. And he said, look, they know you're supposed to be here. Look, if there's any questions, just tell them that I sent you, that, that you work for me. Well, you know what happened. There were no guns, but there was a lot of noise. And people kept coming down and interrupting me in all my fun and asking me, what are you doing? Who are you? And I would say who I was, and they didn't seem to care. And then I would say, I work for, and I named my boss's name. It was like, oh, that's right. Okay. Here was my, here was my go-to. I worked for that guy. I was there because he put me there. I was there because he gave me the tools to be there. I was there because he had a plan for me to be there. You know what is the great joy of the Christian who serves the Lord? Is that you are where God's put you. That he's the boss and that he has supplied you to do what he's called you to do. You're not there because you're so smart. You're not there because you're so great. You're there because God put you there. And what, what you need to do, don't look at what's going on around you. Don't look at the forces that are against you. Don't look at the people. Don't, don't let them live in your head rent-free. Focus on God. Remember who you serve and remember that fact. The fact that you serve God means that you are a servant. Second note, take, take this down. Don't, don't forget this. Thriving people stay focused on who they are. Not only on who they serve, but on who they are. Look what it says in verse 20. And we, his servants. Nehemiah knew. He knew that his primary identity was that of a servant. All God's children need to know this. The, the Bible plainly tells us in 1 Corinthians 4.1, this is how one should regard us. Look at this. Make sure you get this. This is 1 Corinthians 4. One. So many folks get this confused. They, they think, well, I'm an American citizen. and I've got this and I, they need to respect me. I, don't they know what I do? Don't they know what I own? No one cares. Here's what matters. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. As servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. I, I, this is so liberating. This is so liberating because once, once this is your mindset, once you're focused on God and you know who you are and you know that you are first and foremost and ultimately a servant, your motives are pure. You don't get caught up in your head worrying about what everybody's saying. You don't get caught up in your head worrying about this or that. You're able to know I'm here because God put me here. I'm here to do what God's called me to do. Our activities are holy. We know that we're doing God's work, God's way. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's not even about necessarily how or what it is we're doing. It's about God's glory. It's not about the tasks that we're accomplishing. 
It's not about it's not how we feel about our role or our place. It's about God. It's about His work. As it, and friends, any work for God is holy. Changing the diaper in the nursery is holy. <laughs> it's smelly, but it's holy. It's just as holy as, as preaching the word. It's just as holy as, 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 as you know, what you do at your job. It's holy because you're doing it, if you're doing it as a servant of Christ, you're doing it for the glory of God. And that makes it holy. It makes your motives pure. It, it makes your activities holy. And, and it makes your efforts empowered because you do it in the strength that the Lord gives. Friends, you're, we're, we are never stronger than we are, when we are relying on the strength of God. We're never weaker than when we're relying on ourselves. Friends, if you're very comfortable going throughout your day without prayer, if you're comfortable talking about anything and everything but the gospel, if if you're comfortable with with relying on what you can come up with, I'm going to be very honest with you. You're a very weak person because you're not... You don't have eternal power. You're not all knowing. You're not all loving. But God is. You're never stronger than when you're relying on God for strength. Because his strength is all powerful. His knowledge is all knowing. His love is everlasting. And when you've got that at work in you and through you, there is such a great blessing. Expect to be criticized when you're doing it. You know, the thing about the Apostle Paul, you look at that, that passage in, in 1 Corinthians 4, it, it makes me think about the Apostle Paul. I mean, here's a guy who's criticized all the time, especially in Corinth. They, they, were, they were telling lies about him, his enemies, the enemies of God. They were saying, oh, all Paul cares about is popularity. All Paul cares about is making money on you people. All Paul cares about is making sure he's got the power. And, and the Apostle Paul was able to say quite plainly and, and directly, no, all I care about is the glory of God. And that made his ministry powerful. That, that made his light in Christ shine. Listen, when you're facing challenges, and, and, and you face challenges just like I face challenges, it's one of the comforts that I have in my life is I have friends that I've, I've been in ministry with since even before seminary. And when any of us get discouraged, one of the things we always remind each other is we didn't choose this job, God chose us for it. The decisions we make, we don't just make these on our own. We are accountable to a congregation and we make these decisions with other leaders, elders and and, and leaders who are part of this. And we're not relying on our strength. We're relying on the strength of God and look how God has provided. And one of the best things that you can possibly do for another person is remind them of how God has been faithful in the past. Friends, if you're sitting here and you're able to listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth and they are somewhat intelligible to you, you've been blessed. There have been circumstances and things beyond your capacity that have got you to the point where you're listening to what I'm saying right now and you are somewhat understanding it. That is a blessing from God. Think of all the multiple provisions that have been given to you to put you in this place where you are right now. Give God praise. Give God praise and serve him in his strength. No, God put me here. And when you know that God has put you there, you're free to serve. You can pray with confidence. You can act with intentionality. You can speak with authority because it's the word of God that you're speaking. But I also must say this. 
If you are not a disciple of Jesus, that is not true of you. And I, I need to be real honest with you. If Christ is not your Lord, if he's not, if he's not come into your life by your invitation and your repentance, you're on your own. You're on your own. And it may very well be that you are the enemy of God. You may be the one who's in opposition to God. You say, well, how do I know? Listen, this is not complicated, friends. Here's how you can know if you are a friend of God, if you're a child of God, if you're the redeemed of God. Have you repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation? It's a simple question. Can you go back to a time when you were not a Christian? Can you speak to that time? You may have been a young child. It may require your parents' help or someone else's help who knew you when you were a small child may take a picture or two. Can you remember that season when you repented and believed the gospel? And can you now speak to how God is changing your life? See, for those who repent and believe the gospel, we're free to pursue and recover God's design. And that's God's provision in our life. That's how we come to serve him more and more. We got we to focus on God, who we serve. We got to focus and remember who we are. We're servants. And then we got to get clear on the fact that we're doing what he said. So write this one down. Here's the third thing. Thriving people stay focused on what their calling is. Their calling. Nehemiah was real clear. We, his servants, will arise and build. Nehemiah knew why he was there. He wasn't there for political overthrow. He was there to build a wall. Now, here's something funny. I, I imagine if, they, if we could find Nehemiah's resume, we would not see wall builder on his resume before getting to Jerusalem. He was a cupbearer. I, I bet you he had no working experience. I bet had he applied for the job, it would have said three to five years of wall building experience. And he'd be like, I, I'm out. I got no experience in this. I'm a cup bearer. You need somebody to hold a cup? I'm your man. Building a wall? And not so much. Here's the great thing about God is when God calls you, he equips you. Whatever God calls you to do, he'll equip you to do it. Now, we, we, we need to get this axiom. Here's an important Christian axiom. The need of the kingdom of God is always the call. And God always equips his people to accomplish his calling. When it comes to calling, there's two types. There's a general call. The general call of God is to love him, to love people. Loving him leads us to obeying him. And obeying him, we make disciples. That's the general call of all Christians, that we live a holy life, that we acknowledge that he is our savior. Again, we, we are those who identify. We, we, we say we're his. And then there's a specific call. You and I, each one of us who are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, have a unique place in God's kingdom that enables us to accomplish the general call. Your special call, my special call, enables us all to accomplish God's general call. And our, our specific calling is lived out Five different areas. I'm just going to just say these real quick. I'm not going to elaborate. I want you to think about them later though. First of all, in the church. Every Christian is to be a member of the local church. Now, if you're in transition from one church to another, 
okay, this doesn't last for years. This barely should last for months. Some of you cannot be a member of Living Hope because you're not a baptized believer. No one should be a member of a local church who is not a recognized, baptized believer. Anyone who's not made public profession of saving faith in Jesus Christ cannot be a member. If you've not been baptized, you are not in the will of God. If you're not a member, an active member of the local church, you are not in the will of God. You cannot fulfill your calling. We fulfill our calling in the church, in our homes. Each one of us, according to our gender, according to our age, according to uh, the place in life we are, in our vocations, what you do, uh, how you, how you f- function at school, in our neighborhoods, you know, how we care for each other, how we serve one another, and ultimately in the world. All of God's people, every Christian is called to send with prayer and finances and go who are capable of going to the ends of the earth to take the gospel. This is the calling of all God's people. Now, each one of us have a unique role in it. Right now, uh, they're about to begin baseball tryouts. And here's what I know about every baseball coach in the country right now. He or she already has an idea of of which players they want and where they're going to put them. I mean, there's going to be a few surprises, but on the whole, most of them have already penciled in who's on first. They already have a get, they've got a sense who's going to be lead off, who's going to be the fourth batter, and who, like Pettis, would be the eighth or ninth, or if we could get a you know, designated hitter, that'd be better. But they're, because here's what they're doing. They're making an assessment of what the goal is to win, and they're determining who has the unique gifts to be able to get us to that. Here's what God does with us. He calls us to be a part of this team. He equips us to be able to do the work. God will equip you. I don't know about you, but I know so many times in my life, I I think to myself, I can't do this. They need to get a real pastor at Living Hope. I've been feeling that way for 20 years. They really need to get a real pastor. But until then, I'm going to stick around because, I mean, you know, I guess I'm supposed to. Here's what I have found. I want you to know this is true about you. God will equip us to accomplish our specific calling. God will equip us. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Look what he'll do, verse 21. Equip you with everything good that you may do his will. He's gonna equip you. Now, it's not gonna be like this. Equip me, Lord. Thank you. Okay, I got it. I got the special equipping sprinkles. Now I can do it. It's not how it works. He equips us through our engagement in the real world. He equips us as we're doing it. Listen, you can read all the parenting books you want to. Change a diaper. It'll change your life. That's when you know you're a parent. You might know you're a parent when they leave and you're still responsible for some of their bills. And there's, yeah, it's just, it, it never ends, right? Listen, God will equip you for every moment. How does he do that? Well, one, through da- daily Bible study and prayer. Again, if you can go through your day without daily Bible study and prayer, something's really wrong. You are not relying on the Lord. If you can go a day without getting a detailed instruction on that day from your king, something's wrong with you. You're not right. Not only do you need to be equipped daily, you need to regularly, every Sunday, gather with the church for worship. If you're comfortable not gathering for worship, something's wrong. 
If you don't need to praise God, to pray with God's people and to be responsive to the preaching of the word, something's wrong with your spirit. Something's wrong. And and then he's going to equip you specifically. And that's the church's responsibility. That's my responsibility. That's my, that's our, our team's responsibility. We're to equip you right now. We are about to offer one of the most important equip courses that we provide here. It's called intersections. Uh, They're going to put the, the, yeah, there it is. Intersections teaches us how to make disciples. A majority of our people are not actively praying and sharing the gospel with lost people they know. It's not. We're too busy. We don't feel qualified. We don't feel comfortable. I get that. But you need to be trained. You need accountability. You need support. You need encouragement. That's what Intersections does. It provides you with what you need to be able to get on with doing God's work, God's will, God's calling. So get signed up, be a part of it, lean in, be equipped. And the last thing you'll get, and this is the beauty, the reward. Thriving people stay focused on what their reward is. Now, Nehemiah speaks to it. This is, this is really powerful. This is strong. Nehemiah is clearly distinguishing between God's people and the enemies of God and what they do and do not get. So look what he says to Sanballat and, and Tobiah and to Geshem. Three things. You have no portion or right or claim. A, a portion is a civic right. It refers to a stake in the nation. It goes back to Joshua chapter five when they were divvying up the property for the the people of God in the promised land. If you are not a Christian, I want you to know this. You have no property in heaven that's coming your way. You have no portion. You know, Jesus said in John 14, believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will bring you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. What's Jesus saying? You've got a portion. I've made a place for you. There is property in heaven with your name on it. You belong there. What, what he's saying to these people, what Nehemiah is saying to these people, you've got no right. You've got no portion to this. There's nothing of heaven that's for you. And you've got no right. This is a legal right. This is the, the right to be able to speak up either within or, or over the, the province based on citizenship. Saying you're not a citizen of heaven. Saying you're not a part of God's plan here. You don't have a say. When we get together and we, we meet, you don't have a say. Let me tell you something. If you're not a Christian, your words are not getting to heaven. I mean, God can be gracious. And there are times when God will hear the prayers of the unredeemed. We see that in scripture. But you know what the normal way is? The normal way of being heard in heaven is in the name of Jesus. When we make our requests known to God, when we we come before the throne of grace, we come in the name of Jesus. And that gives our words a place in heaven. And if you are not redeemed by the blood of Jesus, your words have no place in heaven. Your prayer has no power because it is not in the name of Jesus. And and, and Nehemiah is saying, you got no portion? 
You got no right. And this is the dagger. You got no claim. A claim is the, the right to worship in Jerusalem. The right. It's literally, some of your translations will maybe even say memorial. Instead of claim, it's saying a memorial. The reason is because the word that's used there. It's a very, I'm not going to geek out on you too much, but this word is very important. The word is a car. That is a word used to describe human beings. It, it literally means, uh, the Hebrew language is built on verbs. The Greek language is built on ideas. The Hebrew is, the, the, the words are built on action. And so zakar is to remember. To be a human being is to be a remembering one. It's, it's, such, a, it's a, such a powerful thought. God uses this to describe his people because what makes them redeemed is that they can remember, they can look back to the covenant of God and they can remember who they are because of the work of God in their life. And what he's saying is, you have no claim. You have no work of God in your life that has brought redemption and hope and healing to your soul. That is condemnation. Friends, I wonder, do you have a claim? Can you say, yes, there was a time when I was not with Christ. I repented and believed the gospel at this time. I have made public profession through baptism. I am now pursuing the Lord based on his grace in my life. Friends, there's a claim there. As followers of Jesus, we are made members of God's eternal kingdom, Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. As followers of Jesus, we are made responsible to and for members of God's kingdom, Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There are 59 one another commands in the New Testament that we are to live out and it's a privilege. Listen, as followers of Jesus, we are made part of God's worshiping community, 1 Corinthians 11.33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. It's not about us. It's not about what we like. It's about serving God and, and taking our place in his kingdom and loving one another and going into the darkness with his love and being the light. You can only do that if you're thriving. Are you thriving? Thriving is the confidence to be intimate with God and the confidence to obey his commands while trusting the outcomes to his capable care. Friends, it, either you are or you are not thriving. Are you thriving? Let's pray. Father God, I know there's some here who are not thriving. They've never repented of their sin They've never believed in the gospel. And I pray that right now they will. I pray that right now they will say, God, I, I, I've been playing the church thing. Or God, I know some information. Or God, I, I, this is my first time. There's a lot to take in. But here's what I know, Lord. I want you to forgive me. And I want my life to be in Christ. And I want to be yours. Please forgive me and take over my life. And if you've done that right now, you need to be baptized. And you need to start growing. Father God, I can't help but know that there are some baptized believers in this room who are not thriving because they are distracted rather than focusing on you and the opportunities 
they're not seeking you first. Let me ask you right now, have a conversation with God right there where you are. Talk to him about your distractions. Talk to him about the things that are keeping you from being fully focused on God. Talk to him about what's keeping you from being obedient in your calling. And ask him for strength. Ask him for help. Father, here's what I know about you and your word is that you have made promises and, and, and you have promised to be with us always to the very end of the age. You have promised that you will equip us. You have promised that if we will turn to you, you will renew us and restore us in the hope of the gospel, that you will, oh God, be our strength, our guide, our hope, our life, our love. Lord, I pray that right now your church is being renewed. Your people are being refreshed because we are choosing to focus on you. We're choosing to say we are your servants and we are going to serve your purpose and your will. And we ask that you would enable us to do that in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.